Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Killing Kryptonite. Have you guys enjoyed the uh, series so far? Last week, Pastor Chad killed it, right? Um, I'm so glad that uh, we have some courageous leaders in this church that will speak the truth to us and expose the lie. And I'm also glad that Jesus loves us enough to come shake things up a little bit in our lives, right? Because he has so much more for us. And I believe that that's what he's doing right now in our church. He's preparing us for that next level. So how many of you guys knew that today is Secret Sunday? Yeah. Hey, the good news is it's pretty much the same across all services, right? Maybe uh, 15% of you knew that. So we have done a good job of keeping a secret uh, that wasn't intentional, but is a secret nonetheless. So does uh, Secret Sunday, what does that mean? So we're going to have three speakers, or we've had two already. We're having three speakers today from this church that's going to share a message. Uh, it's part two of Killing Kryptonite. And uh, the last, let me, let me just say this, let me give a little plug. Uh, the first two services were outstanding. I'm sure that this third one will be also. Pastor Josh is going to make sure that all three services are available to us online, right? So make sure that if you miss the other two, that you tune in, right? So the person that's getting ready to come speak to us this morning, uh, he's no stranger here. Um, he's spoken a handful of times here. Uh, he's also in charge of pastoral care, which means that, or pastoral staff care. So uh, if you're at home sick or have something going on, you may have him come up, come show up at your house and help take care of your needs. Um, let me, uh, everyone stand and let's give uh, Pastor Charles Kennison a warm Bethesda welcome. Thank you guys. Well, praise God. You can be seated. So glad to see you here today. Um, I'm thankful for the Lord for bringing us together again. I'm thankful to uh, Pastor Chad and the pastoral staff for giving me this opportunity. It's always an honor to share the Word of God. And I'm, uh, I'm thankful that you're here, even if you thought you were coming to the uh, 10 o'clock service. Let me be the first one to tell you, this is daylight savings time, and uh, we sprung forward an hour, or yeah, however that works. We, uh, you, could, you, you might think the 10 o'clock is starting at 10.30. Guess what? You're in the 11.30 service. It's okay. It's okay. I usually come to uh, this service, and uh, these people are all right. So uh, stick around. You might like them. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Chad kicked off the series on uh, killing kryptonite. He talked about Superman and uh, what, that he could do supernatural things except for when there was kryptonite. When it was kryptonite, he was crippled. He could not even do what a normal person could do, let alone do anything supernatural. We also looked at uh, how the Lord has put eternity in our hearts, that even if we've never heard the gospel, we have ingrained within us a need to worship, a need to praise, and a need to get acceptance from our creator. And creation itself declares the glory of God night and day. So we are without excuse for not knowing God. He also touched on the severity of sin 
in our lives and in the church. He was talking about uh, um, in Corinthians where they had to deal with, uh, with sin in the church. And if you didn't deal with it, then it could spread. And also, um, dealing with that sin also can save that person when they turn back from their ways. This week, what we're going to look at is identifying kryptonite in our own lives. You know, sometimes it's a lot easier to identify what's wrong with somebody else. You ever notice that? Well, you know, they should have done it this way. They should have done it that way. Or if you live beside the road, you know, anytime you change anything around your yard, people notice that. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I don't know what he was thinking. He should have hid that behind the house somewhere. Well, it's the same way with us, and we just need to figure out what kryptonite looks like, what kryptonite is, and how to avoid it in our lives. As you may have guessed by now, kryptonite is sin. It's not falling into sin. It's jumping into sin. You know, there's a difference between falling into the pool and jumping into the pool. Kryptonite is intentional sin. It's habitual sin. It's sin that you're unwilling to address or rebuke. It's something that if you let persist long enough, you become blind to. Something that you don't even see in yourself. But what it does is it keeps us from being supernatural. It keeps us from being able to walk in the supernatural presence of God. When you give yourself to an idol... When I say an idol, I know a lot of times Pastor Chad touched on this last week, but a lot of us, we think about uh, a charm or a statue or we think about a uh, temple to a false god. But an idol can be anything that you worship, anything that you put in the place of God, anything that you gain strength from or give your strength to. It can be anything because God's the only one that you need to gain strength from and to give your strength to. So when you give your strength to something else, when you give your strength to, okay, there's a reason that sins in your life. It does something for you. You gain some kind of strength out of it. It fills a need for you. But you know that's the shortcut. Has anybody ever took a shortcut that turned out to be the long way around? <laughs> there's, there's two ways. There's God's way and there's the wrong way. That's all there is. There's only two ways. You say, no, there's my way, there's his way, there's her way, there's your way. No, there's God's way, and there's the wrong way. If we can settle that in our hearts and our minds, that's going to save us a whole lot of trouble. So whatever this idol is, whatever it is that you give yourself to, this sin, the only power that it has, just think about a statue that somebody makes, and they fall down and they worship it. It has eyes that can't see. It has ears that can't hear. It has a mouth that can't speak. What is it going to do for you? It can't. It has no power. The only power it has is the power that you give it. The only power an idol has lies within your own heart. And when you give yourself to it, you're giving it authority over you. And you become a slave to it. And that's the way sin works. You can't have it both ways. There's God's way and there's the wrong way. We're going to look at the scripture here in 1 Samuel 13. We're going to look at a couple examples in the Old Testament of people who, one who did it God's way and one who did it the wrong way. 
We're actually going to start with the one who did it the wrong way because that's the way we usually do it. We have to do it the wrong way. How many get it right the second time around? You say, Lord, I got it. I got it this time. I learned my lesson. That trip took longer than I thought it would. All right. Enough times around the mountain. So um, the background on this, Saul, King Saul, he, uh, he was anointed the king of Israel by God. So you, you, you have to look at the background of it as the, um, Israel didn't have a king before that except for God. That's the way God wanted it. He didn't want them to have a human king. He wanted them to come to him. He wanted to be their leader. He wanted to be their master, their king. They looked at the, the nations around them. You can get in trouble when you start looking at the people around you, seeing what they have. They all had a king. So they said, Lord, we want a king too. You see, up until then, Pastor Chad talked about it last week, about Achan's sin, where he had, he had uh, stolen what, or he had taken what they told him to destroy and don't take any of the um, spoils. There you go. <laughs> Leave all that alone. Don't touch that. And he took it. And what that did was it brought sin into the camp. And it defeated them the next time they went out to battle. They didn't want to have to live morally in order to win a battle. They wanted a king to put their trust in and an army to put their trust in. So they didn't have to live up to the standard. So that's what they decided to do. God warned against it. They said, no, this is what we want. So he let them have it. And he was, in this scripture, we see what happens when you come under pressure and your faith is tested and you choose, you have that decision. You can either choose God's way or you can choose the wrong way. 1 Samuel 13, 6 through 9 says, When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilead. And all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilead, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now only the high priest, which was Samuel, he was the priest and the prophet, only the high priest was allowed to make that sacrifice. Everybody knew that. King Saul knew that. But instead of waiting on the Lord like he was instructed to do, he took matters into his own hands. It would lift him up in the eyes of the people if he could not only be king but also perform the duties of the priest. It would exalt him in his own eyes as well. He was thinking, this is what they need. We'll bring them together. We'll, we'll go to war. When Saul comes, he calls him foolish. He said, what, is, what, have, what have you done? What have you done? So we know he got it wrong the first time. Now, he gets another chance. Again, he's tested by, this time, by the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, we'll look at that here in a second. Um, a little history on it. The, the Lord told him to go and destroy them, utterly destroy them, everything. Well, he goes with his men, and they destroy most things. He brought the king back alive. You say, why would he want to bring the king back alive? In that day and time, if you had a king serving in your court, it was like a living trophy. It showed how great you were and the victories and the battles that you had won. 
So he brought the king back alive, and he also spared sheep, oxen, the fatted calves. He brought those back as well. And Samuel confronts him, and Samuel says, or they greet each other, (laughs) and he greets, Saul greets Samuel, and he says, I have fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. Samuel says, really? What are those sheep that I hear? What are those oxen that I hear? So we pick it up here in um, verse 22. So Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in it as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You just as well be a witch. And stubbornness is as inequity and idolatry. You just well be worshiping an idol. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Epic fail, right? (laughs) Epic fail. You just got promoted, the first king ever to be the king of Israel. That wasn't enough for you. That wasn't enough for you. You weren't happy. What he wanted was more esteem. What he wanted was more position. What he wanted was more to be lifted higher in the eyes of the people. He wanted the praise of men more than the praise of God. The funny thing is, God's the one who gave him everything he had. God gave him that position. God gave him that authority. And what did he do? He wanted more. And he, since he didn't wait to get it God's way, he took it into his own hands. And that's usually when we get in trouble. On the other hand, we look at David. We see what it looks like to live in covenant. King David was also tested, um, and the pressure was on. And, you know, how many, how many of you like to struggle? <laughs> oh, come on. Who likes a good fight, you know? You got a little pain in your life, you know? Who likes that stress when you wake up in the morning and your eyes twitching, you know? <laughs> you know it's going to be a good day, right? <laughs> We don't like that. We don't like that. And if there's a way that we think we can alleviate that by stepping in front of God, that's when we get in trouble. We have to trust in the Lord. He knows best. We know that every good thing comes from the Lord. We settle that in our hearts. We won't be running after other things that we can get what we think we can get on our own. The only good gifts come from God. So uh, David, he had been out, well, he was running from Saul. So he's running from Saul for years. He's running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. David's been anointed king, but he has yet to be appointed king. So he's honoring the man who is king. And he's running from him to save his life. So David actually flees to another country to get away from Saul. And uh, David's men are with him. And he's uh, ready to go up and fight a battle in that country. But they don't want him to fight a battle with him because he's not a citizen of the country. So he's going back home. He goes back, and the city is burned to the ground. The wives are gone. The children are gone. They've been taken captive. He's running for his life. He comes back. The place is burned to the ground. You you feel a little stress? (laughs) If you don't feel any stress yet, just hold on. Um, 1 Samuel 30 
6 through 8 says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And I'm sure their wives too, although they weren't mentioned here in Scripture. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, Elimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you shall overtake them and without fail recover all. You see the differences? He was under the same pressure. He could have said, Okay, I got a plan. This is what we're going to do. That's not what he did. He said he strengthened himself in the Lord. The first thing he did, he went to the Lord. Then the next thing he did, he called on a priest. Then the next thing he did is he asked God, What? are we to do corporately before he led his men forth? And they recovered all. So we see the difference between being content and where God has put you. Because David, I'm sure he wasn't comfortable with where God had put him. <laughs> He's running for his life, but he was content with it. And he called upon the name of the Lord, and uh, he saw the salvation of God. James 4, 2 through 4. Uh, the scripture here says, you lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You know what David did? He went and asked of the Lord. You try to do it yourself, you do not ask. And then there's some who do ask. It says in, chapter, or in verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, why do you want it? You want it for you or do you want it for God? Then he says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, God can't make you his enemy because he's in covenant with you. If you, are, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, you're in covenant with God. So you're in covenant with God. He's not going to break his end of it. You're the only one who can make yourself an enemy of God. You can go against him. He will never go against you. We are in covenant with him. He has brought his best to the table, and that's all he requires of us. He brought Jesus Christ to the table. And all he, uh, all he asks is for our lives. I don't think that's too much to ask for. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says, For this reason, we're talking about covenant here, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You say, okay, I understand that. I understand the marriage vows. He goes on to say, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The illustration of a husband and wife becoming one, that is just so we understand the mystery of Christ and the church. We're one. We are the presence of God in this world. There is no plan B. You're it. You are God's presence. We're here. So uh, I'm sure you've been to, to weddings, maybe even been in one or two. <laughs> I, I meant, you know, not, but anyway. Um, the, uh, the point is, in the, in the vows, you know, there's a part there where, you know, for better or worse, okay, we fast forward a little bit. What else we got? Um, 
Forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto them, as long as you both shall live. Forsaking all others. That means that your, your heart is clean. Your life is clean. You, how many of you know it, it's, it's, it's not cool to uh, take somebody else out on a date if you are married, okay? <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, no, I'm right. Okay, I'm right. That's the way it is when we give ourselves to covenant with God. We say, yes, we agree to that. And then, wait a minute, this looks good over here. I think I'm going to go do this. Lord, I know you said do this, but I think I'm going to do that. You know, that, that looks pretty good over here. So uh, the covenant works both ways, and we have to keep our end of the covenant. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, if we follow after Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, that's a never-ending process. That's every day. That's every moment we decide. That's not a one-time decision, just like it wasn't a one-time decision to say yes to your spouse. You have to make that decision every day to put them to, to put their needs above your needs, to be able to serve them and love them and care for them and your family. You know, you don't go out, you know, when you were single, you know, you wake up in the morning, you decide what you want to do, eat what you want to do, do what you want to do. I mean, you have other people that you have to take into consideration. You enter that covenant relationship with God. He should be the first one that you go to. You say, God, what should I do here? What should I do now? He has the best plans. And he's the one who, uh, who has planned out your life. You just have to be able to follow him. So we must uh, take up our cross daily and follow him. When we covet, he says, do not covet. When we covet, we hinder ourselves. Who likes to be hindered? Well, let's look and see what hinders me. Hinder means. Hinder means to create difficulties for someone or something, resulting in delay or obstruction. Who likes to be delayed or obstructed? <laughs> you know who we're creating difficulties for? Us. In our lives. We're creating road work. Road work ahead. Expect delays. That's what you do when you covet. You know, the, the Ten Commandments says, do not covet. Do not covet anything of your neighbors. But you know the old saying, grass is always greener. On the other side, and there's another one that says grass is always greener over the septic tank. <laughs> what that means is it looks good on the surface, but you hop over there and uh, you're going to be in a heap of mess. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. God, there's a reason he says do not covet. You know, when you're taking a test in school, you're supposed to keep your eyes on your own paper. There's some tests in life like that. You see your neighbor has a nice new car or a new home or the neighbor's wife's walking by. Keep your eyes on your own paper, all right? Keep your eyes on your own paper. You'll pass the test. That's all you got to do. But it takes diligence to do that. We have to stay focused every day, picking up our cross and following Jesus. You have to be determined to live that kind of life. If we continue in sin, Galatians 5 and 1 
says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty in which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. If we continue in sin, it becomes a bondage. It becomes a stronghold in our lives. Notice that he, he's talking to Christians here. He says, um, Stand fast, therefore, with the liberty which Christ has made you free. So they have been made free. So we see here that it is possible to be caught up again in the bondage of sin. What? A believer caught up in sin? That's what we're talking about. That's kryptonite. A believer who's caught in a sin. And that becomes a bondage. It becomes a stronghold. You hear the word of God. You listen. You hear your conscience speaking to you. And you say no. No, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. No, I'd... I don't, I, don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's what that scripture says. You begin to rationalize it, justify it to yourself. And when you do that, a veil comes over your heart. And the next time you hear the word preached, it doesn't bother you as much. So another veil comes over your heart. Next time you hear that word preached, it doesn't mean anything to you. I'm not doing that. Why? Because you've deceived yourself. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says, Therefore God also gave them, gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You had the freedom of God, and you gave it up. You said, no, no, I'd rather do this. We wouldn't. We know we wouldn't rather do it. But like I said earlier, there's something that you draw from that. You have to see God as your only source. He is your only source. Now, don't get me wrong. God gives you a spouse, that provides a source for you. God gives you a job. That provides a source. But all of those come from God. Do you understand where I'm going here? They come from God. When you recognize that everything you have belongs to God, then you're on the right path. Then you're going God's way. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. That's the thing about deception. It's deceiving. You don't know what's happening. God will send, if you have hardened your heart to that point, if you have seared your conscience to that point, God can send somebody into your life. Somebody to speak into your life, whether it's a friend, whether it's a pastor, whoever God can send to speak to you. If you do not receive then God can send hardships. It is more important to him to keep you as his son or as his, as his daughter than it is for you to be comfortable. It doesn't matter how comfortable you are. It matters how much you're conforming to the image of Christ. To deceive means to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. It's to call good evil and to call evil good. And we see that happening. You, you can see that happen not only in a, in a person's life, but in a family or in a nation where you turn the truth of God into a lie. So we have to make the decision. What do we want to do? 
Do we want to live in sin? Do we want to hinder our strength and our supernatural power? Do we want to live far below what we were created for? Do we want to hold on to deceptive teachings? Do we want to merely live no different than we did when we were in the world? Or do we want to see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth as it is in heaven? There is a reason that God has brought us to this point today. He wants us to take inventory and see what's going on in our lives. He's preparing us for something greater. And it's time that, as as the word of God says, it's high time that we get on board with God. You see, the early church in the book of Acts, do we see the loss attracted to us like they were attracted to them? Because they sure did. They were constantly identified as gods everywhere they went. When's the last time somebody confused you with being God? I don't happen to me very often. (laughs) They were constantly having to say, we are not gods, but we are children of the most high God. Peter had to strongly say to a Roman military official, stand up, for I myself am also a man, because he had fell down to worship him. Paul cried out to the citizens of Lystra, what do you think you're doing? We're not gods. In Malta, the citizens jumped to the conclusion that Paul was a god. In Thessalonica, it was said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And it was stated by the citizens of Jerusalem, all the people held them in high regard. Everywhere they went, the supernatural power, people said, man, what, what, you, must be, you must be Superman. Well, I tell you what, we can be. We can be supernatural. We can walk in the supernatural. It's about boldness in the word of God. It's about boldness with God. Boldness doesn't mean that you're, that you're screaming at somebody. It means you're sure of what you're saying. And when you are bold, people take notice. Just like they said about Jesus, they said he, he doesn't teach like the others. He teaches with authority. We have that authority. The question is, do we want to use it? Do we want to take it? God's not holding us back. If we're, holding, if we're being held back, we're holding ourselves back. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4, this tells us what to do if we're being held back. Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, there's those words that we hate. You know, why's it going to be about suffering and pain? You know, come on. Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, we must have the same attitude he did. You must be ready to suffer, too. For remember, when your body suffers, sin loses its power. And you won't be spending the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but will anxiously, but will will be anxious to do the will of God. When the body suffers, sin loses its power. Count it all joy when you fall into temptations. (laughs) Count it all joy. Why? Because God's taking you higher. The test is coming so you can pass it. You know the test is coming. If you know what's on the test, we should be able to pass it. That might not sound like a, uh, a victory verse, but it sure is. When we can... Uh, 
learn to put our flesh under. Why does, why does God want us to, why does he say we're going to suffer too? Why does he say to arm yourself with the same mind as Christ? See, Christ went to the cross. He knew that after his death, he would have victorious life. He could live in that glorious body. We, too, after our death, when we come to realize that we are dead in our sins and we come to that glorious life in Christ, just like we were singing about just a few minutes ago, we came into that marvelous light. We can live in that newness of life. We put to death the sins of the flesh, and people will be saying the exact same things about us that they were saying about the early church. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot lie, and he does not change. Mark 9.23. If you find yourself, <laughs> at this point, if you find yourself looking for some hope, Jesus said to him in this verse, says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. God made it simple. Believe, we can all believe. Everyone can believe. From the smallest child to the oldest person, we can all believe. He says, if you believe in my promises, if you believe in my word, if you will call upon my name, that's all we have to do. And we can live the victorious life that he has created for us. James 4 and 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. This reminds me of a life, the life of Billy Graham. Think about that. He was here for a lot of years. He did a lot of good work. But looking back on it, it was a vapor. He's passed away. This is our time. We have to make good use of it. It's not for without reason that God has brought us to this point. God, we, we are building a building just outside here. We're putting up a steel structure. We are building the framework of it, and God is building his church for the inside of it. That building in and of itself has no power. That building in and of itself has no purpose. But when we are inside of that building, we give it power. We give it purpose. The power of God resides in us, and we are, when we are in it, mighty works can happen. The same thing is true with us. He's working on us individually so he can work with us corporately. The same thing is true with us. These bodies, in and of themselves, have no purpose. They have no power. But when the Holy Spirit is within us... <laughs> Then he gives us purpose and he gives us power. And we have the ability to change the world. How many world changers do we have in here today? Hallelujah. We have the ability. God did not bring us to this point to leave us here. He has greater things in mind. We will see these greater things. We must do our part. Like I said, as we prepare ourselves individually, he'll prepare us corporately. If not you, who? If not now, when? The call of Christ is worth it. Hallelujah. If the praise team would come up. If you, uh, if you are here today and you find yourself not in a relationship, not in a covenant with Jesus Christ, then today's the day. Now is the day of salvation. You can come into that covenant and you can uh, begin living in the promises of God. If you'll go ahead and stand with me today. You can just bow your heads and close your eyes. If there is anyone here, anyone at all who doesn't know Jesus, 
and you want to come into that relationship with Jesus Christ today, you can just raise your hand to signify that you want to know Jesus as your Lord. If you feel yourself empty and without purpose and without power, then you can change that today. The Holy Spirit will come and reside in your heart when you give your life to Christ. If you're at home watching on TV, watching on the, the screen in front of you and, and you, you say that's you, you want to give your life to Christ, you can do so today. Would it be anyone at all? I didn't see any hands, but just in case we miss somebody, we're going to go ahead and pray. Say it loud enough for you to hear it in your own ears. Dear Heavenly Father, I come today and confess you as my Lord and Savior. I've committed sins and I repent of them now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Hallelujah. If there's anybody here today, hallelujah, Lord. Who needs prayer? These altars will be open. Anybody on the prayer team or the staff will be here to uh, pray with you. So don't let this day pass. Don't let this moment pass. If you need something, if you need help breaking something off your life, please come forward and, and do so. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.